We thought you might like to know a little bit more about nonprofit innovation. What is innovation? Is it starting a new program? Is it starting a new fundraising effort? Or is it truly foundationally changing the model of how nonprofits work? That's the conversation that we are having here today. We have on Donna Oaklack of the Meridian Foundation, who awards a $10,000 prize to innovative nonprofits. And their winner last year, Christy Mitchell of Launch Hope Foundation out of Butler University, well, attached to Butler University, is here. And we talk a little bit about how nonprofits are funded, how they program, and how entrepreneurship is key to Launch Hope's mission. So stay tuned here on The Chris Spangle Show. Before we start, I want to thank all of the Weird Libertarians patrons for being a part of the show. You can find out all of the benefits of subscribing on Patreon at joinwallplus.com. That's W-A-L-plus.com. You'll get bonus content, access to the complete archives. There's over a thousand shows that you can't get in the public feed, and you'll be supporting all of our great shows. Thank you especially to our $100 a month members, John Pusillo, Vincent Peichel, Lars Nordskog, Jake Dell, Matthew Durbin, Reinhold, Christy Avery, and Jason Doolittle. We also want to thank our main sponsor for this episode. Uh, it is Iconic Insurance. 15% of Americans are left to find health insurance on their own. And even if you get health insurance from your employer that doesn't work for you, Matt Allen and Iconic Insurance can help you find the right insurance. Just head over right now and contact him at iconic-insurance.com slash libertarians. We'll put the link in the description if you can't remember that. But Matt is a longtime listener of this program and a great guy and a good friend of mine. So please go support him and reach out right now. Thank you. And now let's get started with our show. Donna Oaklack of the Meridian Foundation and Christy Mitchell of the Launch Hope Foundation, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. All right. Well, well let's jump into it. Donna, why don't we start with uh, your organization, the Meridian Foundation, and a little bit about your background. Um, I'm familiar with a couple things that you've started, but you're on your third iteration of philanthropy. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your career and what are your interests in philanthropy? So I've always been interested in innovation um, and how nonprofits solve community problems. I went back to school at the IU Lilly Family School of Philanthropy as an older student. And then from there, I did an internship um, called the Indiana Achievement Awards, which was a brainchild of Jim Dodson. And I was the intern. Um, I managed the program and learned a lot about um, grant making at that stage. But I would say that it, we were an award program. We were for the state and we recognized nonprofits in innovation, sustainability, and impact. So I have kind of taken that best part of that idea that we had 20 years ago and now created this new award program um, called the Arago Honors housed in the Meridian Foundation, which is a family foundation my husband and I set up in 2019. This is my part of it. Yeah. And you've also uh, been, you were a co-founder of Impact 100, which is a great organization. And I'll link to my previous interview. Yeah. With them. Yeah. I I did Impact 100, which was a really um, a great thing. It's going well, but um, my tenure there is kind of timed out, you know, it's volunteers and they need to be engaged. So this was my next frontier to try and um, do this. So tell us about the Arago Honors, not you know the awards that you've started. What is the need? What are you awarding? And how is that decided? 
Well, we do it through a winnowing process where we keep it really simple, where the nonprofits apply up until midnight to um, tell us what their great idea is, what their innovation is. And then we go through it with a volunteer core and we find those that bubble up. And the volunteer core keeps me in line so that we select what truly is innovation. And this year we have um, a succinct definition of innovation to keep us better on track. It's from Stanford. It's um, not my own definition, but I think it works really well. Innovation is a break in practice, large or small, leading to significant social change. So we're looking for um, impact and a change in the community, public value, so to speak. Yeah. So Christy Mitchell of Launch Hope, you were last year's winner, correct? Yes, so yes, we were. Donna, tell us why they won the award. What it tell us a little bit about Launch Hope and what what it is that was special about them and how would you define innovation in terms of how they operate? Well, Christy um and I met um before the award process really was finalized last year. COVID was still kind of there and we met outside. And um Christy is a graduate of the Ball State Entrepreneur Program under Don Kratko, and I'm probably not saying his name right, but, <laughs> but, but I'm not a, I'm a Ball State grad, but I didn't ever took that program, but it's always been very recognized in the state. And um, her um, entrepreneur view was just struck me from the very get go. And I will tell you just a funny story, and I hope she doesn't get mad at me, <laughs> in that the students filled out her application online on Google. And it really wasn't quite as good as it could have been because they were little interns, right? And it, it didn't shine as much as it should have. But through the process and understanding what she was doing, and, and she's got a lot of balls in the air. I mean, she's got a lot of moving parts. So it's not an easy application to understand, but it certainly is innovative. And the fact that she has engaged Butler students in helping at, at risk population to me was just everything. And um, it was one of my favorite ones, but it wasn't the easiest one to explain. <laughs> well, oftentimes well, Christy, Christy, innovative some... ideas are not easy to explain, right? Well, I <laughs> yeah. totally, yep. I totally understand it. So tell us about Launch Hope and why is it complex and what do you do? Yeah. Um, so like Donna said, you know, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur by, by heart, by trade. Um, and then I also am an instructor at Butler University in our entrepreneurship and innovation department. And so at Launch Hope, you know, our mission is to transform lives and communities through the power of entrepreneurship. So we look at everything through that lens. And we, because of my situation of being an entrepreneur, being um, an instructor and pulling together a couple things that I had a unique perspective about, um, it helped us to develop a really unique model. And so our model is based around kind of three premises that we educate, which is our entrepreneurial education program. We execute, which is our business accelerator program, where when people are ready to move into our business accelerator, we put a team of Butler University business students with them as their support staff. And then we also employ. So we have an industrial center 
that we can employ our um, members in if they need employment, as well as it serves as a manufacturing arm for those in our business accelerator. So right now we focus on industrial sewing, but we have a, a member who's coming out with a line of cosmetics. We will manufacture those for her in our industrial center. So it's really bringing together three different components and mixing them together that makes it unique. So it's, you know, we ed we educate our population, our members, you know, we execute on their models to bring their businesses to, um, to the marketplace. And then we also employ, because we know that not everybody is going to be an entrepreneur, but learning that entrepreneurial mindset is so critical in people moving from wherever they might be in life to wherever they want to go. So teaching them to think like entrepreneurs benefits them throughout their life and also in their families' lives. So who are you serving and what is the main need that you're trying to, I mean, you're obviously the main need is a hey, education about work and entrepreneurship, right? But you know, what's the deeper values that you're trying to instill here? Yeah. And so, so um, our program really serves anybody with a need that kind of wants that transformation in some way. So people we teach inside the jails, the Hamilton County jail. Uh, we also teach at a center out at the Phelan Leadership Academy, as well as a center at the Community Action of Greater Indianapolis. And so it's anybody, a lot of our members have are financially challenged, you know, have poverty type situations, um, incarcerated or former incarcerated, substance abuse recovery, sex trafficked, um, rescued victims, domestic abuse, um, immigrants. So it kind of spans just the the gamut of anybody that has a need that kind of wants to move from where they're at to having that transformational generational transformation of going from where they're at to a truly prosperity model and not just getting by anymore. And I'm certainly not, I, I love all the organizations that I talk to, but it sounds like a much different model than, you know, if, if you're, in an economically disadvantaged situation, well, here, we'll kind of help you with fill out this application or we'll provide you with food or we'll do, you know, it's sort of a singular thing. This seems a little bit more complicated, more all encompassing. Yeah. So Donna, how does, how does launch hope kind of break that mold and what attracted you to that organization compared to other well, organizations? You know, a long time ago, somebody told me that um, a nonprofit had a lot of moving parts and I, I like the fact that um, Christine Mitchell's organization had a lot of moving parts and, um, and, and not all the outcomes were there yet. I mean, she's, but the fact that it was housed in a university and that the students at Butler were seeing real world and getting real world experience. And not only that, but the fact that at risk, you know, women that were incarcerated, you know, come out and have to look for a job and have all those barriers. Well, Christy was giving them strength to create their own future. Yeah. And I just felt it was a story that isn't happening very often in many places. Mm -hmm. And I loved it from the get go. Yeah. Uh, so, Christy, can you explain how so. The people you're serving are not the college students necessarily. They're they're mm -hmm. part of the organization. You have a long list of interns on your website. <laughs> right. So can you kind of break that down for the listener, the different groups of folks that are involved in the organization of what they do? Yeah. So um, so we have people who teach in our programming, so our education program. Um, and those tend to be college instructors, entrepreneurs themselves. And then when they are um, in our accelerator program, that's where we employ 
our 25 to 30 per semester college interns because it's great, you know, teaching entrepreneurial education. A lot of organizations do that, but the heavy lifting comes in in the execution part, like taking your product from a business model canvas on a piece of paper to an actual proof of concept and moving your company into the marketplace. That's difficult on a good day for any entrepreneur, let alone the population we're serving. Um, so putting together a team for them so they have a business team now, they're not in it by themselves anymore, giving them more and more confidence and being able to move that into the marketplace as opposed to just doing it by themselves is really where a lot of the transformation comes in because they just feel like I can do this. I've got these these college students here supporting me. I've got a business mentor that's coaching me through the process. And we ask that our, our entrepreneurs stay with us for five years because we want to really see their businesses succeed. And statistically, if they can get past that five-year window of being in the marketplace and their chances of long-term success um, as a small business owner goes up exponentially. So that's kind of where we, we, we leverage our resources that we have. I'm in the process of starting my business. I'm uh, <laughs> 38 and have uh, access to a lot of great mentors that, that can help me. It's very confusing and you're yes. always kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. So can you talk about, you know, somebody that give me a great example of someone that came to your organization with an idea and was just like, I have this idea. Like, I know my idea will work, right? right. But I don't know anything about the LLC that I've had somebody form <laughs> for me. I don't have like a person to do my taxes. I've just got the idea, right? So I imagine it's so much harder for somebody that doesn't have the benefit or the privilege of the network right. that I have of people to assist me exactly. and the money to pay them. So, right. so it's, confusing. Let's say it's confusing on a good day, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let alone being like 25 and, you know, like yeah. not, not many resources. Right, right. So, yeah, so people who are resource constrained typically is, is our populations um, that we serve. And so... And we do have people that already have existing businesses that come to us and people who just have an idea. And so they kind of enter maybe at different entry points within our organization. But for those that just have the idea and are starting off in the business model creation class, um, we go through first, you know, backing it up even a step further. How do I do really good business research? Teaching them how to do industry research, competitor research, uh, consumer research, vetting their idea, you know, different types of innovation. And oftentimes the idea they come to class with is not the idea they leave class with. And we go through an ideation process, um, boil it down to make it very simple so that they leave with a complete business model canvas of, you know, a vetted business model canvas. We've kicked the tires on it, feel really comfortable that they've done the research, they engage in customer surveys, um, customer engagement, and that type of thing. So the process of going from ideation to a complete business model, it's it's pretty straightforward, but it's not easy, and it kind of goes in circles sometimes. So the process is just, you know, we demystify it a little bit, kind of, you know, to walk them through that process. And then through that process, too, teaching them to think like an entrepreneur is key, <laughs> Because like all the other stuff you said about like, oh, doing the, all the administrative, the LLC, getting your domain, all that stuff. That's pretty straightforward. But we found that people are still intimidated by that. Yeah. So we just we try to simplify everything. 
you know, make them think like an entrepreneur and that you're going to fail and that failure is just a learning point. That is a data point. That's all it is. And so getting that through to them and them really embracing that, you just see the confidence grow in our members. It's, it's amazing. That, that was my next question because I'm just sort of kind of relating it to my own experience mm-hmm. and the confidence game of, all right, I can set you up an LLC and yeah. down, you exactly. know, I could in my sleep set up a URL. Right. Yeah. But having the confidence to go and pitch somebody to give me mm-hmm. money is maybe yeah. the most terrifying aspect of all of this. So I imagine <laughs> somebody who's kind of younger and from a different background than, than I had, you know, my father was a small business owner. Uh, Talk about the confidence game. I mean, Mm -hmm. what kind of, um, you know, emotional support do you find yourself offering to the people that participate in this program? Yeah. Well, I often, when we get together um, in a group setting, whether it's through class or the entrepreneurs are in the business accelerator, I often say, Hey, this is like therapy, right? It's our support group. (laughs) It's our entrepreneur support group because it is, you know, it is a little bit scary, right? Because you are stepping into you know, something new and unknown, right? It's something different, but that's where all your growth and development comes from. So we really prep our members to like embrace being uncomfortable and be okay with it. Where a lot of times, you know, because of circumstances, they have learned to either shield themselves from discomfort, to not want to, you know, put themselves out there because of past traumas and things like that. So really working that entrepreneurial mindset and the entrepreneurial process really embeds in them. I mean, I can see it physically even in their their demeanor, everything about how they operate, um, how they think. And you start to see kind of some of the shell that they've put up or that wall they've put up start to maybe crack a little bit. And to really start to see them shine is, is amazing. And, you know, entrepreneurship is just a really great transformative vehicle, not for just, oh, I'm going to own a business, but just for their lives in general. But the confidence to try new things, the confidence to understand that, like I said, failure is a data point um, that, you know, you're going to get there and it might not be where you thought you were going, but you are going to, you know, put in that work, put in that effort and you're going to succeed, you know, and success looks different for everybody, but they're going to get there. So tell me about a success story. Well, we've got a couple. Um, So, we, um, you know, like I said, our, our runways are a little bit longer because we are creating, you know, new business and things like that. But our very first um, member was a young lady who came out of the Hamilton County Jail. So I was teaching her inside the jail. So the, we were able to go in, uh, teach a weekly class. Um, she developed a full business model. Again, it was not the idea she came in with, but it morphed into, you know, what she ended up bringing to market. And today, I remember she has a a full line of dog clothing that she sells. She's online as well as in um, in retail locations here in Indianapolis. And she also went to work for her business mentor that she was assigned, um, which was also another win. So she left incarceration, um, went from having no job to fully employed. And she works for Mary Shaw at Your Image Works. And that is her business member that she mentored that we had assigned her for her business. So that was a win-win. So, you know, somebody with a felony record, fully employed, and is also running and operating her business. And the students, a win for them too, is 
you know, the first time I brought her to Butler University, you know, I didn't tell the university I was bringing somebody with a felony conviction in. So don't tell them. Right. But, um, you know, the kids are not listening. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But the students were absolutely amazing. They would go pick her up because she was as part of her probation, could not drive. They would take her to dog parks to do customer engagement and customer feedback. And they would take her there. Um, they helped her, you know, set up her Shopify, pay, her Shopify store, um, worked with her on her marketing and financials and her go to market strategy. And just seeing her interact with the students was amazing. Just, you know, she she kind of had that spark again, you know, after being in jail and her job and her life kind of spiraling for, you know, a long time. Um, yeah. So that's one that you know, I'm really excited about. And then we've got, you know, several other I could I could go on and on. But. Yeah. So <laughs> isn't that amazing? I mean, that's innovation. If you've ever seen it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. it's 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 networking multiple communities to to build mm-hmm. great outcomes and, and building a community in and of itself. It's it's excellent. And, you know, the students, I'm sure the students get so much out of it, especially, yes. you know, like. I, I don't know. Looking back at my college self, I didn't have a lot of interaction with populations that, mm-hmm. you know, were different than Plainfield, Indiana. Right. So right. You're, you're if I had met someone at 22 that had a felony conviction, I would have had a certain view of them. And that right. like this is so can you talk about the impact on the students and how it changes their view? Yeah, the um, the students, that's, you know, one of the things I'm most proud about, you know, because when we first started, I remember talking to Don, I was like, I don't know, you know, because, you know, we're at Butler University and, you know, the, the perception of Butler is that, right, they're, you know, privileged students. It's a very expensive. I didn't want to say it, but that's what I was implying. <laughs> okay, thank you. We'll just say it, okay? We're almost All right. friends. All these um, rich kids. But they're not. I'm just kidding. Right, right. But they absolutely blow me away. I mean, they are the ones who are, like, just wrapping their arms around them and, they are so aware that they are in a position of privilege and are so grateful for the education they're receiving. So for them, it's like a way to pay it forward. I have, I mean, like I said, absolutely blown away about just how much they engage with them. Um, And they are from, you know, a lot of different backgrounds. You know, a lot of the people we serve to be, you know, higher African-American populations so they just, you know, they just love on them. They support them. They are working with them at all hours and they get really invested in our members, really invested. And most of them who stay on for a semester. Um, so we have a young man named Zeke and he is in the micromobility um, industry and he has a company that's running right now. And his, his intern his lead intern will not leave him. Like she has already done her, you know, semester and gotten her college credit for it. But she's like, she's like, Professor Mitchell, can I please stay on? I'll do it as a volunteer. Just can I please stay on? Cause I don't want to leave Zeke. Like I want to keep working with him. And that's the level of commitment that these kids have. And it's just, it's so amazing. And, and Butler really emphasizes experiential education, but this is like that next level of like social impact experiential education that Butler is a real champion for. Yeah. If you uh, head over to indianapodcast.com where this is housed for the nonprofit side of the Chris Spangle show, the most recent interview is president uh, Danko from yeah. Butler, there you go. Uh, who is a former entrepreneur himself uh, heard on the leaders and legends podcast. And I was blown away by him and his, you know, he talked a lot in that over the last 10 years that he's been at Butler or maybe more, just how how 
much you need to innovate as a college mm-hmm. to give your kids experiences and, you know, instill entrepreneurial values. So I walked away really impressed with yeah. with uh, President Danko as well. So it doesn't surprise me that Butler really mm-hmm. welcomes this sort of innovation. I mean, can you talk about the support that you get from Butler? Yeah. Um, so we have been pretty much squatting inside Butler. You know, we started this and they're like, sure, go, Professor Mitchell, go do whatever the heck you're doing. Right. And they're like, you know, thumbs up. And but they have really embraced Launch Hope. So, like I said, we're, we have any semester, we'll have upwards of 30 interns this semester. They um, give us space there. They, you know, support us in the community to try to help with fundraising. And they really see this as, for them, a way to innovate the education model, because these students are not only just learning things in a classroom, then they're able to walk to the innovation lab there that's housed in Dugan Hall in the Lacey School of Business and meet with the members from Launch Hope. And then, so they're walking from the classroom to the innovation lab and are actually getting to work on real life businesses, real life social impact causes. And the kids are so immersed in it. And it it really transforms the way that they have learned. And, you know, Butler is so supportive of that because they know like that is the future of education, not just learning out of a book anymore. So Butler is one of our biggest, you know, champions, cheerleaders. Um, You know, we meet with them regularly to try to figure out because we have a lot of demand to move our model now to other cities and other states. So we meet with the Transformation Lab at Butler University because they're trying to help us figure out, okay, how do we move this to Dallas, Texas, and then get the University of Texas or whatever the the university is there to basically do what Butler is doing here. And so they're helping us with our long-term strategic model of how do we move this um, because we do have such a demand to move this type of a model to other locations. Yeah, I mean, we're heard on college stations around the state. So is there any conversation about maybe, you know, branching out statewide first or if somebody were interested in kind of getting involved, if they're a college student, could they come and make the road trip to Butler or, you know, bring this to their college? Yeah, this semester um, we are actually having interns from IUPUI, Marion and UND are joining our internship team. So this will be the first semester that we've branched out into kind of the other three colleges just here locally in Indianapolis. But yeah, I I kind of foresee in 2023 that we will definitely start to incorporate and move to other cities and also other states. And um, so, yeah, so any other universities that want to, you know, have a Launch Hope program, um, social impact program through Launch Hope at their university. They can just, you know, contact us, um, you know, through Butler or directly through Launch Hope. And so I think 2023 will be our, our first year where we're going to onboard additional, full, officially onboard additional universities and, and start to move the model. All right. So I think Donna, the read I get on her, Christy, is that she doesn't want to talk about what she does, and she's very thoughtful and giving and probably doesn't want to feel like she's bragging. But can you brag on Donna a little bit? Tell I will brag on Donna. <laughs> tell us what the winning the prize last year, the uh, – forgive me, the Argor uh, – please help me. Arago Prize, yes. <laughs> The Ergo Prize meant for your organization, and how has Donna Oaklack of the Meridian Foundation helped your organization? 
Yeah. So, so Donna as a human being is amazing. And then what she does in the philanthropic world is even, you know, more amazing because her approach to the nonprofit world philanthropy is really about innovation. And so, so, so often most of the funding, a big segment of the funding goes to your traditional nonprofits. And there is a great you know, purpose that they serve, you know, your food banks, your domestic shelters, you you know, your recovery centers, you know, and they need funding. Absolutely. But then it's hard for newer, um, innovative programming to get up and running because a good portion of your funding is going towards traditional models of non-for-profits. And so where Donna comes in is she's looking for that innovation you know, she's looking to be the person who in, invested in Amazon when Amazon was just a bookstore in a garage, right? <laughs> and so, and so that's what she looks for, and that is so critical in really making a, a sustained, transformative, transformative impact, right? So the way we do things is we need people like Donna to be able to bring those models to market, and and Donna allows. In innovative, non-traditional nonprofits that run way to be able to get up and off the ground. And we're still building the plane as we're flying it, but Donna allowed us to get off the ground where without her support, innovation can, can still sit there and not be able to make it, you know, make it to that next stage where we're actually live in the marketplace, in the, in the community, actually helping to transform lives. So without people like Donna, innovation kind of fizzles out because not a lot of granting organizations are, are looking for unproven models, but that's what innovation is all about. It's a new idea. It's a new approach. <laughs> and can one of you kind of give me the dummies version of how nonprofit funding works, why, and how you'd like to see it changed? Donna, do you want to tackle that? Like, I think, I think people listening kind of, you know, of a nonprofit and you think of a food bank and you think, oh, I give donations to them. But that's not necessarily how all of the funding works. I'm sure there's grants, but I don't know that a lot of our listeners might totally understand the nonprofit world and and how I don't want to say the rut that it's fallen into, but the patterns that it's fallen into and why you see a need for change. Well, most giving is driven by individual donors, and that is the source of revenue that for nonprofits that is more sustainable. So when a nonprofit kind of gets logged into just applying for grants it's not uncommon for that source of revenue to to diminish, to, to not stay sustainable. So it's always challenging for nonprofits to have a strong source of individual donors, especially when they're starting, right? And they don't have a track record. Um, but I would always, you know, tell nonprofits to tell their story and that's how they'll get more donors. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, it's qu- a, quite an industry where... We have fundraisers in these entities. And the bigger they are, the bigger the fundraising department usually is. And um, we're kind of trying to set, upset the apple cart a little bit um, in our small way. Um, we think it's important that there's trust, you know, that we trust um, Christy Mitchell to be able to go out and do her work. And we don't require any reports. And we just say, Christy, go go do it. And uh, we did that eight times. So. While we found, you know, Christy's story is amazing, we found seven others that were really equally as good. We found innovation in large nonprofits that had more capacity to um, 
to build that air, airplane and launch it. And then we found some smaller ones. We did not find a lot of um, innovation in middle-sized nonprofits. And I think that's kind of telling in the industry that they just, they're so busy staying afloat that they can't be innovative. Because they're getting drowned out kind of by the bigger guys mm-hmm. and they're not able to get as much access to donors to, yeah. what, what I've is it, it's, it's harder for them to get volunteers and dollars and it, yeah, they're treading water a little bit. Yeah, they are. And we don't, that's not what we want, right? We want, these problems in our community are huge and they take a lot of us with a lot of great ideas to, to wrap around services and to solve the problems. So we want to inspire innovation like Christy Mitchell has. And it's not easy to do. Yeah. Christy, do you want to weigh in? Yeah, I kind of echo everything Donna said. And um, just I think there's there's a huge need just, you know, to solve these kind of social problems, to really innovate and um, finding the right, you know, people to, to back you for that, whether it be the individual donors, is so critical. And to be able to tell your story. But like with any startup, you know, Launch Hope is a startup. So it's always hard in that startup phase to get your story out there, to get people to pay attention, right? Because you're new and you're com- like, you know, competing with United Way or, you know, some of the big people that, oh, I'm just going to write my check every year to the United Way and I'm good, right? But hey, take a chance on, you know, a smaller, innovative organization that might be shaking things up. And so our big push is to try to get people to try to look at the world of, you know, nonprofits a little bit differently and to look at it through a lens of innovation like Donna does, because that's where your real impact is going to come. Yeah, people like predictability in this space. And you talked a little bit about data and granting organizations liking good data and how that hurts innovation. Can you can you repeat the off air conversation? Because I found that so interesting and not something. that. Yeah, I just, you know, most of the the very large granting organizations, you know, across the nation, not just here in Indianapolis or Indiana, but, you know, they want reams of data. How many people have you hurt or, you know, helped and served over a period of time? And they want to see the results. So they know if if we give you one hundred thousand dollars. Oh, but they've done this, you know, for years. So it's a safe bet. And so a newer innovative organization, you know, my results take longer, but my results are more exponential in terms of the actual transformation. So a lot of times there's that short return on investment. I gave $50,000. I know $50,000 worth of food went out and I helped so many families and I can quantify everything very quickly. And I can show those numbers of, you know, people helped, people served, where in an innovative model like ours, it takes a long, a little bit longer. Like we're bringing new businesses to market. That doesn't happen in a week. <laughs> you know, we're, we're not getting those results back that quickly, but our impact is going to not only transform the life of the person, you know, so maybe we have 150 people a year we help as opposed to thousands and thousands, but our impact is going to make a larger ripple in that pond, you know, when you throw that in that boulder in there. And so, and ours is also going to be generational impact. So the scope is just different. If it's short term, I can immediately impact that person's life today by helping with utilities or transportation or housing or long-term you know, so I, w- I would like to challenge people to look more long term in terms of how they resource and allocate their their philanthropic dollars 
look at the long-term change and impact that innovative organizations like Launch Hope or like any of the other ones Donna's have invested in, that, that change takes a little bit longer, but it's it's generational and it's going to impact not only their lives, but the lives of their family and their children. That takes a minute. So, All right. I've got one more question and I don't want it. I'm not, we're not talking politics, so I promise we're not going to do that here. <laughs> right. But um, one thing that I have noticed over the last few years as the world becomes more polarized uh, and part of why I donate my time and, and talents to just interviewing nonprofits and uh, you know, telling their story and putting it into my podcast. Like I believe in civil society as a, a, a motivator of change because one side looks at the government and says, this is the answer to solving our social ills. One side looks at the business says, this is the way to solve our social ills. And then there's this third way of nonprofits and social organizations and, you know, your little league group, all, all these little community organizations that really um, matter. Uh, in nonprofits, I think kind of sometimes I've started to see a little bit more negative. Oh, no to nonprofits. We need to move this direction. We need to move that direction. Can you give a defense of, you know, civil society, nonprofits, entrepreneurship, why it is so important for us as communities to network together in these ways? If you agree with my premise, you're certainly uh, willing to disagree. Christy, why don't we start with you? Yeah, wow. Um <laughs> So <laughs> that's a loaded one. Yeah, um, I don't know where you go. <laughs> I think I find that, you know, collaborating in the community, whether like I collaborate with other nonprofit organizations that do very similar things that I do. And so I think as, as a community, if you can let go of, you know, turf wars or government, you know, programming, stuff like that, and just as all kind of pull together. So, you know, I collaborate with the Urban League. I collaborate with Community Action. Um, Urban League has a great entrepreneurship program. And, you know, I I gladly work with them. I'm attending an event they're having in just a couple of weeks. And so I think the key to all that kind of discord is just, you know, we're here to serve the community. And so getting out of all the silos and everything is key to that. So us engaging with ISBDC, SBA, other nonprofit organizations, that's where the magic starts to happen. So I think that is key. And so not to look at things in certain silos of, you know, red or blue or government, not government, religious, not religious. It's just like, what's the mission? You know, we're here to try to transform lives, get people, you know, moved from poverty to prosperity and, if there's somebody in the community that can do some part of that mission better than me, I'm going to go partner with them. I'm going to go learn from them. I'm not going to compete against them because that is counterintuitive to the mission of, of actually helping to serve the people in our community. So I think it's just your perspective and your mindset of how you look at it. Um, and that, I mean, I think that's the place to start with that. Donna, has there been, has polarization kind of affected the nonprofit world and how would you answer my question? Well, I think it can. Um, I think it's up to the individual to build trust. And for me, philanthropy has always been local. You know, I want to know the people that are providing the services. I, I don't want to um, just put the money and not, not know where it's going. And I think that's the tr trend for donors, right? They want to know where how the funds are being used and they want the trust. 
I, that's why I started Impact 100 so that I could see where um, funds were being spent and I could know the good motives of the people that are doing the hard work. I mean, this is not easy stuff, but um, I'm kind of a, a crazy person in that I'm, I, I do more in philanthropy than probably the typical donor does. But I, I think it's all important that you know the leaders of the nonprofits that you're investing in. Yeah, that would be my answer, I guess. All right, final second to last question because we're going to have shameless self promotion <laughs> time. But uh, Donna, what do you see every day that you wish everybody understood about your work? I wish people understood a little bit more what innovation is. I've been a little bit challenged by. Um, just a mentoring program is innovation or um, a great fundraising pro project for Giving Tuesday is innovation. I, I think we need to kind of understand that it is solving a community problem and creating public value where Christy is moving our community to help others. And that's the problem that she's solving. Um, one of our winners last year was Pattern. And they're also using interns, but they want to keep the interns, the creative interns in our city. So many times they leave Indiana because there just aren't enough places. Well, um, Pattern is doing some amazing work. And we just we want to recognize innovation and we want, just want to lift it up so that more people are inspired. I interviewed Pattern, and I'll throw that uh, interview in the links in the show notes if you want to check that out. Christy, what do you see every day at Launch Hope that you wish everybody understood about your work? Oh, wow. Um, well, I think that our model is very innovative and um, that by embracing entrepreneurship, I think that is a way to kind of really solve a lot of our problems. And so I think I would just like people to you know, look at, look at a lot of our problems in society through the lens of entrepreneurship, like we have been doing and that entrepreneurial mindset. So that's kind of something that I try to Im immerse into everything with the interns, to our members, through our education program, through our accelerator, through our employment model is just that entrepreneurial mindset and looking at problems differently is, uh, is something we try to do a lot. Shameless self-promotion time, Christy. Tell people, you know, if they want to get involved, if they want to donate, how can they find yeah. more info? Please tell us. The floor is yes. yours. Yeah, you can go to launchhopefoundation.org. And there's a link on there where you can volunteer. There's a link on there where you can make a donation. Um, and if you're somebody in the community that you think you'd be a good fit to be one of our members and you want to transform your life through entrepreneurship, you can also apply on there as well. Donna? Just excited to get um, to find the next class of innovation in our in our city in our in Central Indiana, and um, to be able to tell some more great stories like like Christie's. All right, and the Arago Honors Nonprofit Innovation Awards for Indy Area Nonprofits. Uh, that cash prize of ten thousand dollars. The applications close on August fifteenth. So uh, you just got just a few days after this is airing, but um, they do it every year. So if you're hearing it after, then make sure that you you check out the Meridian Foundation for those awards. Thank you both so much for your time. I learned a ton from both of you. It was really exciting to hear about both of your work and to learn a little bit about the nonprofit space from you. Thanks for having us. It was great. 
Yeah, thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. And thank you for listening, and we will see you soon here on the show. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.